692, page number 692 as we get started with our second session this morning. When we all get to heaven, what a day that will be, amen. Let's sing it out together on that first verse. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sign. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory onward to the prize before us soon his beauty will behold soon the pearly gates will open we shall tread the streets of gold when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Amen. You may be seated. This time we'll have a special for Mrs. Watson.
Baptist Church, and I have often said this, but I couldn't have asked for a, a more faithful uh, pastor and pastor's wife to just come in and, and to see them hand the reins, and they have been such a blessing. Of course, Brother Watson's been in heaven now for a little while, but so thankful for Miss Anita and her faithfulness, and man, what a blessing. That'll, that's, that'll help the soul right there, won't it? Sure, a lot to be said for just people being faithful, really is, and uh and Brother Ben Moore, our next preacher, I'm sure thankful for him. And I was thinking about just what I would say, but I've known Brother Ben and Miss Melissa for quite some time and our families and, and uh, watched him serve there as the youth director uh, there at Riverside Baptist Church for many years. And God called them uh, to uh, Valley Avenue Baptist Church there in Fall City, Nebraska. And boy, the Lord has sure been good there. And uh, just use them in a mighty way. And so thankful to have him come and preach this morning. And so, Brother Moore, you come and preach the word, brother. Appreciate you, man. Yes, so. you, well, it's my blessing to be here. And I do want to say thank you for the amazing accommodations. Uh, when we got to our hotel last night, 
um, the, the receptionist brought this huge basket of, you know, like cookies and snacks, and it was hard for me to eat all that last night, so, <laughs> but I made effort, and it was, it was really good. And by the way, thank you for the music. Wow. That choir number was incredible last night, and so we're going to, we, my wife wrote that down, and then, then the special that uh, the PK uh, trio sang, we wrote that down. By the way, what a cool name, the PK Trio. We, uh, we had our boys sang a quartet on Sunday night, um, uh, just, just the, what is today is, Tuesday. Okay, so a couple nights ago, and um, so they, they practiced and they sang, and man, this sounds really good. And uh, I turned around, and I was just sort of like saying, man, this sounds really, I was like, I was really surprised. This sounds, I mean, good. I mean, quartet, four parts, everybody was on tune. It, it was good. So then I went up to the pulpit right before the message, and I said, we got to figure out a name for these guys. And Brother Chad, the youth pastor, was walking to his seat, and he yelled out, the meatheads. <laughs> so um, it's not quite like the PK trio, but, you know, we have a pretty awesome quartet. They're called the meatheads. So maybe you should have them come and sing. Um, God is good. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. And when you find that, stand with me and we'll read our text this morning. Let's begin in verse 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made in, uh, when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there were in, that, in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord." And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one, uh, one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, to, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made, uh, seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now I want you to look at verse 19 with me. 
Let's focus in on this verse. But Mary kept them all, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's a key thought. Let's pray and we'll ask God for his blessings. Father, we thank you for your grace and for the messages that we've already heard, the tremendous word that's been brought from Brother Alexander last night. Thank you for the message. Thank you for Brother Swope's message this morning and how already we've been touched by you. And so we pray for the message even now that you'd bless it, work in our hearts and help us to respond uh, with an open heart that we might be touched by you. And then we would know what you'd have us to do and we would walk in faith. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. This passage is it's an amazing story where God visited a young lady and told her that she was going to bear the Son of God. And by hearing that news, I'm sure she would have felt a bit overwhelmed, her and Joseph, knowing this, the transformation that would have happened in their life. Not just God saying, I want you to be married to your spouse wife with this news and all of the changes that would have happened, maybe the emotional you know, feelings that would have been there. God, God had a plan for them. God had a ministry for them. Now here's one thing that God never said to Mary and Joseph when he told them that they would bear the Son of God. He never told them that it was going to be easy. He never said, you know, this is going to be really easy. And because it's the Son of God, that's, that means it's going to be even easier for you. God never said that. And so she is bearing this child, the Son of God. And as the day is getting closer where she'll deliver this child, we understand the book of Micah that The child would be born in Bethlehem, but how would God do that? Well, He used the taxation, didn't He? And so there was a taxation of Caesar. And with this taxation now, they're going to load up in the caravan and they're going to travel to Bethlehem. Now, they're not loading up in the caravan like we did when we drove to Olathe. Yesterday, they're loading up with a donkey. And so imagine with me, you're nine months pregnant or expecting, and you get on a donkey and you're going to ride for 80 miles. And so with this journey, you can imagine that it's comfortable and everything's going great. And 80 miles, you know, you're there within a couple of days and by the time you get there, you're, you know, you're tired and probably irritable, you know, just kind of thinking about the way it maybe was, reading between the lines, although we don't hear the actual discussions Joseph and Mary are having for the last two days. But, you know, they're on the donkey and they're probably talking. And when they show up to town, you know, she's probably looking forward to a comfortable bed, right? I mean, she's, she's probably thinking, this has, been, this has been pretty rough, so I'm looking forward to at least, you know, laying down and resting my back and 
you know, so she, they get to town and they find out there's no room in the inn. There's no room. There's no beds. And so while that's happening, you know, the Bible says that they travel 80 miles, they, they get to town and there's no beds. But do you know what it also said? Well, I mean, consider this for that journey. Um, it says that she was great with child. It said that in verse 5. Now, I looked that up. And in the Greek, it means she was huge. That's what it means. And I already told you she was probably irritable. So um, she gets to the inn and there's no beds. And so now they find themselves in a stable and she's having contractions. And perhaps her water breaks. I don't know. that Those details aren't there. But we know it's time. She starts telling Joseph, the time is now. And so they're in a stable, and she delivers her firstborn child, Jesus. And look what it says in verse 7. You need to see this. She brought forth her firstborn son. Now listen to that phrase. She brought forth her firstborn son. It sounds like everybody was smiling, and it's like they got a family picture right after, and... (laughs) And, and everybody has a big smile. She brought forth her firstborn son. Now, when my wife brought forth her firstborn son, she almost ripped my shirt off. So, this is probably not a very comfortable situation. They're, they're in a stable. She brings forth her firstborn son, Jesus the Savior. She wraps him in strips of cloth. The same kinds of cloth that they wrap dead bodies in. You've probably studied that. You know that. Then she takes her child and she places him in a manger, which is an animal feeding trough. And then she probably takes a a few steps back and looks at the manger where Jesus is laying wrapped up in the strips of cloth and just sort of puts her arms on her chest like this and says, this feels right. This, I mean... She, she's watching the donkeys and she's looking around. She sees the baby in the manger and she says, this feels right. She probably wasn't saying this feels right. You know what she might have been saying? This doesn't feel right. This doesn't seem like the way that it should be. You know, the angel showed up to Mary and said, Thou art blessed among women. He said that to her. And she's standing there and looking around. When she pictured this happening, that she was the blessed among women, that maybe this wasn't what she had in mind. I didn't picture being the blessed among women looking like this. Um... When, when we had our kids and uh, we, you know, we had to change the diapers, I wasn't very good at it. I didn't change too many diapers, but I remember early on some of the first diapers that, that I changed. Melissa was gone for some reason. I, this, this true story. I put a diaper on one of my kids backwards. Now you're like, how do you do that? You know, I don't know. I, you would think that I would know that when the strap, the Velcro part is going on the front, that maybe I was doing this wrong. But uh, 
I don't know. I just, it looked like the back was the front. It looked like that to me. So I put this diaper on. And then whenever it was done, I was thinking, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel, I just left it, of course. I wasn't going to figure it's already on there. So, I mean, it works. He's covered, sort of. So, but I do, I do remember thinking, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't seem right. Mary was going through a hard thing right here. And as she's looking at it, probably what she's feeling is this doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem like that this is the way that this should be going. Um, So what do we read right after that? We read that God visited some shepherds. And he visited these shepherds by way of the Shekinah of God, or at least the light of God shining on them, and the angel of God speaking to them. And while in their presence, the angel has a message for them. Now, shepherds in Bible times, at least in the time when we're reading it in the New Testament, it had started to change. Back in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, we have Abraham and Jacob and Moses, they were shepherds. And it was kind of a... It was sort of a, a, you know, an elevated status to be a shepherd in those days. You know, it was an honored position. But as the years went on and farming and cultivation became more of a, a trade of the day, shepherding was less aspired to. And so what would happen and what would have happened in Bible times when we read it in this story is the shepherds would be the sons of of uh, young, uh, young, young men, sons of families, or it would be servants, or it would be um, hirelings. And so that's what we can imagine when we hear about these shepherds, these young men, these hirelings, these servants, and they're in a field, and they're holding or keeping their responsibility over the sheep. Now, probably there would have been rotations. And so with the rotation, Uh, shepherds would watch the sheep with a rotation and there would have been a night shift keeping watch over the sheep at night. Why? Well, to keep track of uh, animals getting a hold of the sheep and eating them. Uh, Watch for robbers coming and taking the sheep. And so it would have been during the night rotation, the shepherds watching the sheep, that the angel appeared in the night with the light and the Bible says they were sore afraid. They were sore afraid. That means that they were terrified out of their minds. Um, now, I remember when I jumped in the backyard to get the basketball, and I did that because the kid said, the friend of mine said, the dog doesn't bite. And so I grabbed the basketball and I threw it back, and then the dog was growling at me and he started chasing me, and I realized this dog bites. And so I just did like a dive over the fence, but not before he got me right in the backside. Okay, so you can imagine that when the light shows up and these guys are terrified out of their minds, that there's probably one thing on their mind at this point. I need to get out of here. Sorry about that. You need to stop listening to me. Okay, so they're probably thinking, I need to get out of here. The one number one thing on their mind is run. So the angel says, fear not. So the first thing out of the angel's mouth is fear not. Meaning this, don't run. Why? Because I have a very important message for you. Well, what's the message? 
The message is that the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, He's here. And I need you to take this message and I need you to deliver it to somebody. I need you to take this message and I need you to go to a, a this huge house, you know, and there's a bed in there and then there Jesus is going to be in this room and, and it's just this beautiful place because that's where you would expect the Messiah, the Son of God, the Master of the universe to be, right? No, He's going to be in a stable. And maybe when the shepherds are hearing where Jesus is going to be, you know, they're getting over the shock, the fact that an angel's talking to them and they start to consider a stable. And that sounds strange. And then they say, and He's going to be wrapped in strips of cloth like dead bodies are wrapped up in. That seems different. And then they said, and He's going to be lying in a manger which is an animal feeding trough. And then they finally say this, well, I'm going to have to go see this. The Bible says they made haste. But before it says that they made haste, do you know what the angel said that this was going to be unto them? Let's look at it. It says, um, let's see, where is it? Verse 12. Thank you. Was that my wife said that? You're awesome. Verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. So God says, I'm, I, have, I have something that's going to do some confirming work in your life. I have, some, I have a message and I need you to deliver it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to work as, some, as a confirming, sort of affirming, affirming thing in life. You know, God gave signs. But he didn't give signs to, you know, just to just for the sake of the signs. You know what the signs and the wonders and the amazing things that God did had had really one thing that God was designing those to do is to affirm the message, to affirm the work of God. So God says, I have a sign. I have a message for you. And I'm going to send you to this stable to see this child who's wrapped up in strips of cloth and he's lying in an animal feeding trough and it's going to be a sign confirming, bringing affirmation to what's happening in not only your lives as shepherds, but in the life of the people that you're going to visit. So they made haste. Like, I got to see... This. So they're on their way. They make their way to the stable. They walk in and to their absolute shock and amazement, the baby is in the manger. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And it's just as the angel said. They can't hold it in. They're like, whoa. I have got, we, we have got to tell you what we just saw. I mean, Mary, sit down. You're going to need to sit. She probably already is. You need to sit down. Joseph, you need to sit down. And they're sitting down. And the shepherds began to report exactly the message as it was delivered to them by the angels. And the Bible says they were, they were in wonder. Everybody who heard this story, they were in wonder. What does that mean? It means they were absolutely amazed, marveled. Remember, remember in uh, 
I don't remember the passage, but you know the story when Jesus um, calmed the storm. He just said, peace be still. Do you know how it described the disciples? It said that they marveled. Now, if you just watch Jesus say, peace be still, and then the wind stopped and the waves just stopped and it's just like calm. How, can you imagine the amazement you would have had? That's the same idea. They heard the story. They heard the affirming message. And they wondered. But Mary, it doesn't say that Mary wondered. Do you know what it says that she did? It says that she pondered. Pondered. Do you know what that word pondered means? So cool. It means a coming together. And more specifically, ponder means a coming together in one's mind. What's that mean, though? It means that Mary had heard the message. You're going to have the Son of God. But it was just a peace that was there and she was, it wasn't all together yet. And then she heard the message. And, you know, she heard... She knew, okay, we're on our way to Bethlehem. And maybe she remembered Micah in the, in the reference of the Old Testament. Okay, well, this makes sense. And it's another piece where it's starting to all sort of, you know, come together. But it's not coming together yet. And you have to understand this. That when Mary is in a stable delivering the Son of God... And she's just placed her child in an animal feeding trough that she would have stepped back and she would have not had pondered in the sense that, oh, this makes sense. She would have wondered this. Am I doing this right? This doesn't seem right to me. When I moved to Fall City, we were there for nine months, and of the three people that we had when we moved there, two of them left. So we had maybe 15 people on Sunday mornings, and then on Sunday night and Wednesday night, we had one person, not counting my family, which really didn't count because Melissa was in the nursery every service, because if she wasn't, then Andrew would have been running back and forth on the second pew the whole time. You know, because she's, we have a baby, we have two little ones, and then we had Andrew. And lo and behold, Andrew become cal- became calm, and now he's like our best one, and Ethan's the one. We're like, what are you, a psycho? <laughs> anyway, God knows. Um, we think he's ours. Anyway, um, switched in the hospital maybe, I don't know. Um, so she's in the nursery, and I'm preaching on Sunday night to Miss Marilyn Schultz. She's the only one. We did that for a long, long time, like years. And I would always, I would constantly say this to her. I know it feels like I'm only preaching to you. (laughs) But I am. So, and I really worked on those sermons too. I, 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 in my heart, I was like, you know, Lord, I know it's just going to be Miss Marilyn there, but I want to do it like there's a hundred people, you know? And I really put work into it. And I preach those messages. And I remember the day she would come to me in tears and she would say, Pastor, 
when's it going to happen? You know, you keep saying we're going to grow, but I mean, we're talking two years later. She's like, are you saying we're going to grow? Still just her? It's going to happen, Miss Marilyn. And then I'd go home and I'd say, God, when's this going to happen? You know, nine months after being there nine months, we had open house. And, oh, we were so excited about open house. It was our first big thing, you know. Nine months, I mean, it's a lot of just kind of getting used to being there and getting acclimated. And I was coming, I was working a full-time job. And then, so I was coming out of that and we had support. Many of y'all supported us. And, and we were coming out of the job, being supported and able to be full-time. So we were excited. We canvassed the whole town, man. We put stuff on every door in the whole town. You know, took us like six hours. No, <laughs> I mean, it took us longer than that. But, I mean, every door in the whole town had a thing. And it said, open house on this day. And it was our first big thing. So I, here's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, man, Melissa, this is going to be big. I mean, I was like, we could have like 40 people. And then it got bigger every day. Man, we could have 50 people. We could have 60 people. And I'm like, we could have 100 people. We better put chairs out, you know. It's just every day, every day the day got closer to that Sunday, I just, I was getting more excited about the crowd we were going to have, you know. And uh, so we woke up on the big day, and it was raining, and I was thinking, oh, man, this is a bummer. It's raining. Um, but that's, you know, Maybe we'll just have 40 people, 30, 40, 50, more than what we're having, 15, 12 on good days. Um, and so we were at church and our normal people came. And then I was just standing by the glass front doors and there was no cars coming. And it, and it, it was getting closer to church time and uh, there was no cars coming. And then it was church time. We were supposed to start, and there was no cars coming. And then it was five minutes past church time, and no cars were coming. And, and I started to cry, standing at the front doors. And, uh, you know, went to the pulpit and preached the message. And then I went home that Sunday night. And I cried myself to sleep. And I said this. I said, I said God, why, why am I here? Why am I here? There, we put something on every door in this whole town. And nobody came. Let me, let me correct that. There was one family who came. But you have to understand, my heart was, was hurting and here I was wondering, I was wondering, God, why am I here? And then I asked myself this question. I said, God, what am I doing wrong? This is not what I thought it would be. This is not, this is not what I expected. And it was... While I'm on my knees, I'm actually asking God to move us too. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, what am I doing wrong? Why am I here? God, can you move us from this place? 
I don't want to be here anymore. Obviously, this town doesn't want us here. I don't really want to be here. And while I'm on my knees, the Lord says, nope, you're right where you're supposed to be. Right where I'm supposed to be. And, and it was as though God was saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You just got to wait for me. You got to let me do it my time. I'm going to do it. Let me show you something really neat. I read this this morning in my Bible. You, go to, you can lose your place here. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. I just want to show this to you. Second Kings 5. There was a man named Naaman, and he had leprosy. And you know the story. I won't, I won't go through the whole story, but he went to the man of God, and the message was, dip yourself in the Jordan. And he argued with the man of God, which we you know, deal with that pretty regularly, don't we? Um, finally dipped himself in the Jordan in obedience, and he was healed. And then he said, I, Elisha, I want to give you some money. Now, you, you carnal pastors, there's no one of you that would say, you want to give me some money? How much? <laughs> Isaiah, Elisha was like, no money. Which one of you guys would say that? Anyway. Joke. Anyway, uh, he says, no, no money. And he left. But Gehazi, Gehazi, the servant, he's like, man, free money. Like, this sounds like a pretty sweet deal to me. So he tracks down Naaman and says, man of God, he, was he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. So don't listen to him. We actually do need some money. And he wrote him a check, handed him, handed him a, a sum of money, and Gehazi came back. And the man of God says, what did you do? Uh, what are you talking about? Uh, with the money, what did you do? Now I want you to see what Elisha said. This is super neat. Verse 26. He said unto him, went not mine heart with thee? Verse 26. He said unto him, speaking to Gehazi, went not mine heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, look at this next phrase. Is it a time to receive money? And to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and manservants and maidservants. Do you know what Elisha said? Is it, is it a time for that? Do you know the implication there? It's not the right time. Does that mean that God has a specific time that he does certain things? I think it does mean that. That God has a timetable and his timetable isn't always ours. So... Um, we had revival last week, and we had four people get saved Amen. at our revival just last week. There were two, there, a young man, uh, uh, 10 years old, just about to turn 11, came to the altar and was so nervous. Brother Chad was talking to him, and he, he didn't get saved at the altar and wept all the way back to his seat. And then 
the last amen was said, and he, I saw him leave the auditorium as quickly as possible. And so I, I just kind of tracked him down. He was in the parking lot. And I said, I said, Paxton, he turned around and he was weeping. I said, I said, Paxton, what's wrong? And he walked over to me and I embraced him and he threw his head into my shoulder, into my breast that way. And, and he said, Pastor, I need to be saved. I said, well, let's go to the office, hon. And we went to the office and Paxton got saved. Asked the Lord into his heart. So that was Sunday morning, Monday night. There was a couple that's been coming to our church for about six or eight or so months. And this is a couple in their 70s. They've been members of the Brethren Church for all of their life. I mean, mom and dad in the Brethren Church, and they were born in it. And they've been coming to our church. raised his hand Sunday night that he needed to be saved and didn't get saved. And then he, he told me, He told me Monday night when he got there to revival, he said, Pastor, I figured it out in the middle of the night. I'm just just anxious about my money. And you know what he was doing? He was making excuses. And you know what the message was about that night? Making excuses. And he came to the altar. And while he was walking to the altar, I knew why he was coming to the altar. I met him at the altar. And he was weeping. And he asked Christ to save him. And And he got up and we embraced. And he walked back to his seat. And I looked to my left and his wife was kneeling. And so I knelt down by Jean. And I see, Jean, why did you come to the altar? She said, Pastor, I need to be saved. She asked the Lord to save her. So we get to the end of revival and God's moved. God's done a, an amazing work. And he's not only in the salvation, but in the transformation and the revival of our souls, you know. And there was a lady that was there named Heather, and she got saved in spring revival this year. And Heather, we gave testimonies on Wednesday night, and Heather raised her hand and she said, Pastor, can I share a testimony? I said, Yes, Heather, share your testimony. And she began to speak about how that brother Tim, one of our deacons, invited her to church and he did it at just the right time. And she began to testify to the church through her tears that she was about to end it all. And Brother Tim convinced her to come to church and she got saved. And her life is transformed. And she wanted to testify that God did that. You know what Brother Tim says? Brother Tim, our deacon, he says this to me a lot. He says, Pastor, God sends you a friend just when you need a friend. Do you know that God does things in His timing? And did you know that God knows what He's doing when He sent you where He sent you? The question that you need to answer uh, this morning, pastors and friends, are you where God wants you to be? Now, you don't have to answer it out loud, but (laughs) that's the question you need to answer. Are you where God wants you to be? Can you in your heart say, get down on your knees and have a real conversation with God, no matter the doubts or feelings you're having, and ask this question with a genuine spirit. God, am I where you want me to be? And when God says, no, you're right where I want you to be. And then you, and then you when you know the answer to that question, and then you can ask this question, God, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I doing what you want me to do while I am where you want me to be? And sometimes he reveals things, and we got some things we need to get right. There's some things that maybe maybe our spirit isn't right. Maybe our attitude isn't right. Or maybe maybe there's some things where we're not walking with God like we should. And it does that does affect our ministry, pastors and friends. 
And we need to get our hearts right with God. And He speaks to us about that. Am I doing what you want me to do? Am I where you want me to be? Am I doing what you want me to do? And God says, you're where I want you to be. And you're doing what I want you to do. And then we ask, well, what am I doing wrong then? God has one message for you. And here's your message. You ready? You are not doing anything wrong. You're where God wants you to be. You're doing what God wants you to do. And you're like, man, this stinks though. Like I invested in people and then they left. I loved these people and I gave my heart to this. And I really put my heart into this, man, this family. And I really loved them. And I thought we were going to be arm in arm in the ministry and we were going to serve together and we were going to do this together. And I loved them. And they left. And that's hard. There isn't anybody in the ministry who hasn't had that. And we wonder, what did I do wrong? It must be my preaching. I must be a bad preacher because I can't, I can't keep anybody. And we just, we just like, we just beat ourselves up about the ministry because we, we step back and we think, this doesn't seem right to me. It feels like I'm not doing this right. You're where God wants you to be. You're doing what He wants you to do. You're not doing anything wrong. Sometimes we have we get low, don't we? Um, what do you mean low? Like low finances? <laughs> like we don't have a lot of money. Um, and when the money gets low, then anxieties go up, and struggles that we have goes up. And or people are low. We don't have a lot of people. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of people. We don't have a lot of friends. Early on in the ministry, Melissa and I struggled so much. You know what? It wasn't so much that we didn't have a lot of money, which we didn't. It wasn't so much that we didn't have a lot of people, which we didn't. It was hard because we didn't have any friends. Or at least we felt that way. And we would, we would wonder, like, am I doing something wrong? You're not doing it wrong. You're where God wants you to be. You're doing what he wants you to do. You know what you need to do? You just need to keep doing it. You just need to stay where God wants you to be. You need to keep doing what He wants you to do. Why? Because He's going to do it in His time. He's going to do it in His time. And you know what? It's going to be His way too. He's going to do it in His time and He's going to do it His way. And we can try to forecast things and we can try to, you know, put all this plan together and this structure and this idea of how, how it's going to be and, you know, and, and with all of these, you know, models that we put in place to try to make things happen. You know, sometimes those things are beneficial in some ways, really. But ultimately, the work of the ministry is not our work. We are where God wants us to be. We're doing what He wants us to do, and it is His work. And when it's time for the work to move forward and become what God has designed it to be, then He is going to do it. It's our job to just stay. It is our job to be there and be faithful. And then whenever you look back and when you sit back, and then God brings the shepherd at just the right time, right? And when you feel like this is junky, 
this stinks. I don't like this anymore. And then just at the right time, it seems like the shepherd comes, doesn't he? And he says, oh, I got a message from God for you. And you know what that message is? You're right where you're supposed to be. It seems like this is bad, but it's not, it's not as bad as it feels because you're right where you're supposed to be. So just keep doing it. Keep doing it. And I hope you feel encouraged this morning. Because probably the feelings that you're feeling, we've all felt it. So if I could just tell you one more time, you're not doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. Father, this morning, we thank you for the word. It's such a, it's such a powerful thing when we can look at your word and be touched by you. And so it might be that somebody this morning is battling with this, this feeling, this, this idea that because things are hard, because things seem wrong, that maybe they're doing something wrong when it's not the case. That probably because they're doing what you want them to do, and they are right where you want them to be. That they're doing it just right. And the best thing we can do in, the, in that time, Lord, is just keep doing it. Would you help us to be faithful? Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to deny the thoughts that perhaps in some cases is planted there by the devil to discourage us, to quit? To be, to be moved when it's not time to move? Would you, would you edify your people? Would you bring that confirmation, that affirmation? Would you bring the pieces together? Would you help us to ponder today what you've done and what you're doing? And we give you glory for it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Preacher.